Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast, powered by SpannersReady.com, bringing you F1 blogs, reviews, podcasts, and occasionally news. Today's episode is called 26 Days of Summer. I'm joined in the podcasting shed by... Reminiscing, listening, that, having such a good time. Oodle-lolly, oodle-lolly, golly, what a day. It's Matt. Two rumpets. How's it going, old man? Oh, it's it's going pretty fine. Spanners, how are you doing? Well, I'm just wondering whether you've recovered from getting your OAP bus pass last week. Oh, well, you know, actually, I, I'm beginning to lean into it a little bit. In fact, you know, uh, it's being summer break and all. I actually went and played golf on Friday. Wow. With a friend of mine. And do you know what they gave me? Golf clubs. Senior discount. No. It was half price to play prime time which almost but not entirely offsets the fact that I can no longer bend when it comes to getting old, at least. It's not a good sign. It's not a good sign. I'm very sorry for your loss of most it, of your it's, life. It's tragic. Well, how's your summer break kicking off? I, I, I understand you, you might have totally slagged off one of our guests very recently. Uh, absolute, no, 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 absolutely not. So moving on, F1 is having a holiday. The writers on SpannersReady.com seem to have also taken a an unplanned holiday. Dad Hub is on a summer break, so it looks like it's just Missed Apex holding the fort over the summer. But don't worry, guys, we're not going to let you down. Uh, next week, we have Tech Time with Matt Summerfield covering the Halo and 2017 regulations. Then on the 21st, we're going to batten down and do a Rules of Engagement show with Race of Champions star Bradley Philpott, and we're going to establish what rules we're looking for in advance instead of me just seeing a crash and trying to figure out how it's not Hamilton's fault. Uh, And this week, we've got a mid-season review with a couple of respected F1 types that you might have heard of, and that is today. So, for those of you just finding us, we are an independent podcast hosted 
by SpannersReady.com, the home of Dad Hub podcast, F1 stuff, and very shortly, Formula E stuff too. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. This show is safe for work, so you can play this with kids in the background, or in the car, or at work. You're waving at me, Matt. No, I was just holding up my number one finger for being wrong, but first. I like it. Our first guest up from Formula Spy is Chris Rainbow Sparkle Stevens. How are you doing, kid? I'm great there, mate. How are you doing? Absolutely fantastic. Um, best behaviour today, Chris. We've got guests. So like I say to my kids, speak when spoken to, be polite and pretend I love you. Okay? Okay. <laughs> and don't slag him off. I learned from daddy on that one. Oh man, the chat room is <laughs> delighted that you're in the house, Chris Stevens. Also joining us, not on a Tech Time show, is Matt Summerfield, technical analyst from motorsport.com. How's it going, Summers? Not bad. You guys okay? Yeah, well, it just occurs to me that since you're not talking tech, I might actually stay awake through a whole sentence. So it'd be interesting to see what you're actually like on a podcast. Probably rubbish, but at least you can give me my uh, Mansell impression if you, if you fancy taking over. <laughs> I love your voice. You sound, you're quintessentially English. Uh, team orders, Matt? Yeah, Spanners, our next guest is faster than you. No, I'm still the big pull on here, surely. No, no. Without a doubt, the biggest star we've ever had in the podcasting shed is Daddy Pig from Peppa Pig. But a very, very close second is NBC reporter and F1 journalist Will Buxton. So pleased you could spare the time for us, Will. You're making me blush. Uh, thank you. It's good to be here. Oh, well, look, uh, you've graced paddocks around the world, studios of the top TV networks, and now finally you can add the podcasting shed to that list. It's glorious. So uh, we know you, I know you mainly from uh, your blog and from Twitter, but we don't get the US NBC feed. So, I mean, I've just looked it up. I saw it for the first time after the German GP, and I mean, it's really good. We're, I'm not going to tune into Ted's notebook anymore. It's Will's notebook from now on. Well, well, you should because um, yeah, Ted's is brilliant, and we've had kind of we've been crossing the streams for the last few weeks. Yeah, uh, I noticed. Which worked out really well, um, but it's good. No, you know, Ted does his thing, we do our thing, and it's all we're going out to very different audiences. Um, but it's great, it's good fun, and and the, the figures are going up all the time in the states. So yeah, it's a good news story at the moment. Have you got quite a, a smaller team than the Sky team? Because you seem to do the interviews first, and then you do it. Um, so Sky bring. I don't know how many it is now, like 25, 30 people, I think, to a race. It used to be about 50-odd. Uh, uh, about about the same for you? No, two. two. <laughs> okay. Two. That's it. There's me, there's Jason Swales, who's my producer, uh, and he either films the stuff or we use one of one of Bernie's FOM cameramen to do it. And that's us. That's our whole team. Um, the announced crew are back in the States, back in Stanford, Connecticut. They come to three or four races a year, and we have a big presence then. Um, but, yeah, it's nice. It's just a very small little con. Sort of compact group and it works well and the presentation you do is is really it's super slick it's it's you giving the your notebook thing off the phone then you you talk up to camera make your point and then cut to the interview that's relevant i can't take credit for that that's jason on the edit you know he makes it look good that's, so he uh, does the that's, edit that's, as well that's yeah, amazing that's, that's that's why you employ producers to uh, make you look far better than you actually are see after watching that as much as I love Ted's notebook, he suddenly reminded me of like Keith Chegwin on the Big Breakfast doorstep no, challenge, I knocking over. Ted's, Ted's awkwardness is, is, <laughs> is Ted's strength. When he got Caroline Wozniacki in Monaco, genuinely my broadcast highlight of possibly the last five years is amazing. I don't know if, if you've seen it, it's you'll know what I'm talking about. If not, search it because it was it was wonderful. We will do. And a big welcome to the live chat room on the live stream, spannersready.com forward slash live stream, live chat room in there. You don't just have to type though, you can call in 0115 888 Apex. Turn your phone on. Turn your phone on. 
I never give credit to bassistry who do that phone bumper with my darling wife on lead vocals. So the championship recap is brought to you by, I guess, our Facebook group, Search Missed Apex Podcast. There are 169 people in there. You could be the 170th. Well, the highlights so far, obviously, Matt, are Paddy Lowe beating Cowell on the Bouncy Castle race. Lewis Hamilton, 19 points ahead in the championship. Red Bull easing ahead of Ferrari. And in the notes, why have you put a picture of a badly parked Mercedes on top of a Ferrari sports car? Uh, I happened to see that on, on, on Twitter this morning. And it just struck me as a perfect visual metaphor for the entire Ferrari season thus far. They've simply been run over by a Mercedes Benz that doesn't even seem to be paying attention to them. No, and I've been, I don't want to say I'm an oracle of F1 or anything like that, although, you know, I don't discourage that kind of comparison. <laughs> But I've been saying all season, even when they were doing quite well, uh, and but they were dropping points left, right and centre, it looked like there was something endemically wrong with their system. They were getting tactics wrong, they were getting strategy wrong, they seemed to be going backwards as far as development went. And the one time I've seen an organisation like that from the inside, it's been from an atmosphere of fear. And it just seems, it seems like no one there wants to make a decision. We had, obviously, uh, James Allison leaving. On the surface of it, it looked like a very straightforward uh, welfare reason, uh, uh, which we, we all sympathise. But now, as the story goes on, it seems like it, there's a lot more to it, Matt. Yeah, it, it does. And there's a, lot of, there's a lot of things in the wind, um, particularly with Marchione taking over and no one really certain about their job. But I think it's also important to remember that Ferrari invested a fair number of resources in bringing Haas up to speed. And as part of that, we know that at least some of their personnel at least were temporarily sent to America. And I've noticed that a fair number of people are no longer at Haas. And I'm just wondering if that perhaps some of Ferrari's brains are on gardening leave waiting to return home, and if that might have had some impact, it was just worsened. Well, I mean, if you cast your mind back to the first race of the season, Ferrari leading the race one and two for the first 20-odd laps, and I just think it's staggering how far back they've fallen. You know, they've, they've gone from knocking on the door of winning races to being the third comfortably the third um fastest team in in formula one at the moment and it's 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 staggering how you can um fall back that quickly and you're right it was most definitely those strategy calls um early on that that cost them the problem you've got is ferrari don't understand when they're quick they don't understand when they've genuinely got a chance. And that was their problem in Canada. It was their problem in Australia. The problem in Australia was they went on totally the wrong tyre strategy. If you look at what Haas yeah. did, very, very smart using the um, the red flag as they did. And Ferrari going out on totally the wrong tyres to go to the end of the race after that. They threw away a race win. So there's, I think you're right in one respect, there's panic at the team. There's massive, massive pressure put on them from Marcioni, who's saying, yeah, this weekend we're going to win. This weekend, we, you know, we've, and, and there's massive, massive pressure from that. I don't think Arriva Bene is the right man to lead the team because he's, I think after the last, what was it, Hungary, he said, oh, you should have seen me on the pit wall. I was going crazy. Ferrari doesn't need someone who's going crazy. 
They need someone who's calm. The last thing they need is somebody who is that over emotional. And I, and I, I don't think Ariva Bene's raw emotions are actually doing the team any good. I think that's ramping up the pressure too. Um, one point on Haas, if I can. The yeah. reason that they transferred so many people over to Haas and then they're not at Haas anymore was to get around the loophole as regarded wind tunnel testing. So that was smart from Ferrari because they, they were able to, to work on the uh, – uh, on actually 2015's car um, when they shouldn't have been, so that was that was pretty sneaky. But do you think they're 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 paying the cost of having those personnel not yet back at Ferrari because they no, they're, they're going to have to wait? To, are they back already? They're back. Yeah, yeah, they went out for like a couple of months and then they were and then they were straight back. Um, it's just it's there's too much pressure. I think there's too much panic um, because they're being led emotionally rather than clinically. It's why they went and said, Oh, we need to get Ross Braun back because he's that clinical guy. And actually I thought Ben Anderson over on Autosport wrote a really good article this week in which he said the one guy who could bring to Ferrari what it needs in that calm, methodical approach to racing is Eric Boulier. And I think Boulier is like a latter day Ross Braun. And I think Ben Anderson was, was spot on with that. Um, they need calm. They don't need crazy seat of the pants on fire emotional chris stevens you're an emotional fellow do you, do you agree ariva Bene not the man for the job i think ariva uh, ariva bene was perfect for the team in 2015 you know when they were on their resurgence um after having marco Mattiacci, who did nothing essentially um and it was, it was almost embarrassing um for the team and he, he never wanted to talk to the media because of it um, so, you know, when Arriva Bene came in, it was a really, uh, he did a really good job in bringing them back. But now that they're sort of, you know, back up to where they ought to be, or were at least at the beginning of the season, I think it is maybe time for him to move aside. Okay, let's do some token tech, Summers. What's the main thing they're getting wrong? It's, it's Aero, isn't it? They've got no Aero. Is it Ferrari that said, Aero's for people who can't build engines? Well, now they've got both problems. Well, I wouldn't say they've got both problems. They they did rectify a lot of the problems that they created with the power unit in the early days, but they'd still have problems in aero, and they're they're suffering against the the Red Bull in that respect, yeah. and that's where they've gone backwards, uh, especially since Spain when Red Bull got their engine upgrade. Cool. Well, that that sort of naturally brings us on to Harsh because I was struggling with you guys to find anyone too emotionally attached to the future success of Ferrari. But we're all gunning for Haas. I mean, I'm an, uh, an Americaphile. Is that the right word? What's the equivalent of Anglophile? Uh, Matt is an actual American. Will works for Americans. We had high hopes that they were going to come in and not just be stuck with the back two and back three. And, and they seem to have broken out of that. Um, but Will, I saw that you were on record in 2014 as rating um, Esteban Gutierrez. You, do you still after the start he's had this, this year? Yeah, I absolutely do. I think he has been a victim of, uh, you could call it misfortune or you could call it um, has putting all their eggs in one basket. They moved all the experienced engineers over to Grosjean's side of the garage. Um, Gutierrez basically got, I mean, the guys are still good, but he, he didn't get the guys with the experience. So the majority yeah. of issues fell on his car. He hasn't had a chance to show what he can do. Uh, the team even tried to move Grosjean ahead of Gutierrez in Hungary through strategy. Um, and I think Esteban still finished ahead of him, if I'm right. Um, I, I feel for Esteban. I really do. I rate him highly. I think the team are doing a great job, but they just need to to calm it down now and get back to where they were at the start of the season because they're letting 
And the big worry as well is they've got sent a, a strategist from Ferrari and they managed to completely ruin that relationship. So they're now asking for more from Ferrari and Ferrari aren't very willing to give it because they, uh, I think they dirtied the water on that mm. bit. Go on, Matt, because I was going to talk on perhaps his, some of his frustrations. Yeah, well, I, I was going to bring up that that very point is that I've seen Haas asking, saying that Ferrari should be giving them more, that they've given them a bucket full of parts, but no real understanding how they work. And that was interesting to me because it was interesting because they seemed to be so into this relationship in the beginning, but it seems like it might have soured a bit. So you're, you're saying that's really what's going on here? I think to an extent, I think, you know, Ferrari gave them everything and they gave them the means with which to work. And if you then go back and say, oh, but we need more. It's like, well, we gave you everything that you asked. Well, you, it's your job now to figure this out. It's your job to make it work. And the stuff that we have given you, if you've screwed that relationship up, that's on you. That's not, that's not on us. Um, so I wouldn't say it's, it's not a difficult relationship. It's not, it's not a soured relationship. It's just, it's a professional relationship. And they've got what they've paid for. Now they want more. Well, that's a renegotiation. Chris. Sorry, guys, jumped up. Chris, um, I've got a second will about um, Esteban Gutierrez. I mean, when he was in the Sauber, it was an absolute dog of a car he was driving that did not allow him to show his capabilities as a driver. Um, I mean, I don't think he's going to set the world on fire, but he's definitely better than what people say. And you just look at the such bad luck he had at the beginning of the season. Mm. I mean, the, the brake failure in Bahrain, he got, I think, five laps of running in practice in China. You actually look at when he has a clean weekend, mm. he matches and sometimes outperforms Roman Grosjean, who two years ago, or two or three years ago, we were saying was, you know, one of the the, the, the next big things. Mm. So, Matt, uh, moving on from the Haas-Ferrari thing, do we do we want to talk about Mana? Is there anything to talk about Mana, or should we move on to... Uh... Oh, does Chris, is that, what's that hand signal mean? I don't know that hand signal. Yeah, yes, absolutely we need to talk about Okay, Mana. if we're going to talk about Mana, I'm going to kick it off by saying, uh, give Rio a chance, hashtag give Rio Harianto a chance. I don't think he's done bad, right? If if Pascal's really as good as everyone's saying, he's got to be at least Palmer-ish. Uh, he's definitely keeping uh, Verline <laughs> honest. That's just got to be said. In qualifying. Um, yeah, in qualifying. In the races, I think Pascal's got a bit of an edge. But um, I think Mana did uh, an incredible job, you know, where they were last year to yeah. this year. I mean, they uh, they came into this year in the best financial um, situation of their entire time in Formula 1. They had basically an extra six months of development because they gave up on last year's car after um, Silverstone or um, around about then. Yeah. And so, th- and they definitely made the biggest leap Um in terms of the other teams from last year to this year and they're not they're not you know by far the slowest team anymore are no they? i mean they're regularly bigger beating... than Haas, really okay oh, yeah. bigger oh, than yeah. mclaren <laughs> really <laughs> or I... even maybe red bull okay you have to forgive chris he's special uh, what? But, but... whoa <laughs> what <laughs> i there are statistics i looked this up yeah Uh-oh. i saw it mclaren is... made up something like three seconds on last year and manner have made up about five and a half. I read it in a book. Uh, Will, is Manor's next leap the leap home? Ah, uh, nice, nice yeah. constant leap reference. Showing there. our age, aren't we? Yes, yeah. you are. Get Ziggy. <laughs> um, uh, 
I don't know. I don't know. Uh, the, the I, th- I think the interesting thing, if you look at look at McLaren, look at Manor, look at all the teams and, and where they are this year compared to last year, is the strength of keeping consistent regulation uh, and allowing teams to develop within those regulations. That's why I'm so annoyed about 2017. But that's another... No, topic. no, it's, it's absolutely fair. I mean, me and Summers were talking about this. When they tried to remove uh, Mercedes' advantage with the Frick, all they yeah. really did was hand it to them because they changed the regulations and who had the resources to adapt and change quickly? Mercedes. It was a complete own goal. They talk about one of reducing the gap and and again, they're doing a big shuffle. I like it when Matt's waving angrily so I just keep talking to see how frustrated he gets. Go on, Matt. Yeah, well, you could just look back to the last set of engine regulations where Renault started out very far behind and caught up and wound up being arguably the best power unit in the Red Bull before they switched to the current hybrid regulations i mean this is a it's a story that's been told over and over again and you think they would pay some kind of attention when they're thinking about making changes like this i guess the only good news is they didn't decide to change the engines for next year too but as far as manner goes i did want to make the point that alexander rossi politely told them thanks but no thanks for the second half of this year which is an interesting gambit he's going to stick with indycar for the time being yeah, surprised by that because I don't know. You say we, from our point of view, Formula One's the be all and end all, but IndyCar's all right, I suppose. If uh, I know who's listening, uh, Summers, you're trying to get in, bud. Yeah, I was just going to say about the difference between Pascal and Rio. I think there's one thing that everybody seems to be missing out on is the fact that Pascal's not driven single seaters before, so there is that slight difference in the way that you would drive the car. Well, he but- has. Yeah, but not in a competitive sense. Yeah, Formula 3. Yeah, I suppose so, okay. (laughs) (laughs) We're not used to someone's being wrong about anything. Ah, I mean, no, he's a a DTM champion, so his most recent experience isn't in single-seaters, but he has raced single-seaters in his junior career. But I I totally agree with you. And you look at what DiResta did as well. I think DTM's not a bad bad sort of, you know, preparatory formula for... For Formula One. So they are Formula One cars with just roofs on them, aren't they? Really? Is it that simple? That's how they're described. Or is that a Stevensism where Uh, uh, where then I then have to apologise on Facebook posts for you? Is that It's just it's a little nickname they get given. Sorry, Spanners, we're some of us are versed in other other forms of motorsport as well. I want to talk about other forms of motorsport for just a second. How about BMW E30s? Friend of the show and team venture racing guru Charlie Brisker is racing at Thruxton next weekend. They will be racing their 1983 BMW E30 against a variety of cars in the CSCC Future Classic 40-minute race. Tickets start from £5 and it's a good mix, a good weekend of mixed racing at the fastest track in the UK. Motors TV are recording it. And they will be playing it through the week if you can't make it in person. I think Thruxton is in the sort of bottom left part of the country. So go past <laughs> all the good things in London and then you head towards where the, the black and white crosses. Uh, now, he said to me, he's a big fan of uh, Mist Apex. He's got Mist Apex on his car. He said, if we get an interview on Motors TV, I will mention the podcast. I said, that's absolutely fantastic. And then selfishly, I said, well, in that case, I hope you either win or crash early enough that they come to you for a, uh, an interview to fill airtime. <laughs> and he was like, um, yeah, thanks. But try and try and check it out. It's my ambition this year to check out uh, more more forms of motor racing. So I think we have time, Matt, for you to pick between McLaren and Williams. We're not going to cover all the teams. We just can't do it 
in an hour. I believe you think Williams might have taken a wrong turn. Well, I do, but I'm going to make you crazy by doing that thing that I do and bring up the chat room. Oh, gosh. Which has the odd question or two. But before I do that, since this apparently has turned into a show about DTM and not Formula One, <laughs> did anyone else happen to see the interview with uh, Ocon about his experience thus far? In no. which he expressed, <laughs> he expressed uh, surprise that the drivers were really quite fast <laughs> and it was kind of hard. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and it's was... a lot of work setting up the cars. <laughs> that reminds Oh, fast. man, that reminds me of Kovalainen when he didn't quite do it in the, was it the 2013 Lotus? And he was like, yeah, it was harder than I thought. Well, don't admit that. Make up a problem like everyone else. Uh, right. So what's, what was the thing that I actually wanted you to talk about? Uh, well, the chat room. Oh, yes. Go. Briefly. We have a question from Felix B to Will. Being a fan of F1 means having a favorite driver in our team. Um, and he would like to know, how do you balance your bias for your favorite drivers and teams with fair journalism? Yeah, see, of course, here on the show, we don't bother. We make but, no effort yeah. to be fair. I, well, it's, it's, it's funny. I, I think I've been doing this so long now that I've seen so many of them come through the ranks. There's only kind of Jensen and Kimi and I guess Fernando and Felipe who were there when I was a fan before I I really got into the sport so most of them I've seen come through junior formulas and I've worked with and I've known through through the years so you just there is no bias because you want them all to do well and you you know the interest is in the story that is a massive cop-out and we don't believe you well, I have, I have, can I have a follow-up question then? Is, is, do you find sometimes that you have the opposite problem in that because you know them all personally, it's occasionally hard to report uh, dispassionately on yeah, the difficult Yeah, to, to, totally. Side. Sometimes you feel you, you have to ask the difficult question. You can feel like a bit of an ass for doing it. Like um, in uh, Barcelona, you know, I had to ask Danny the question of, of how he felt seeing his car Ooh. win the Grand Prix, you know, and that's a question you've got to ask. Yeah. Um, but, you know, but they know that you're just doing your job and that's, you know, everyone's professional enough to know that it's not, it's nothing personal. You're just, you're doing your job. They're doing their job. Excellent. Thank you, chat room. Remember, you know, don't be shy. You, you can call in. I'll stick the number in the chat room if you want to come and say hello. Are we ready for Williams? You're, you're concerned that they're just not doing it. They were third, the third best team, what, for the last two seasons? It just seems that they just get worse as the season goes on. And I know we mentioned McLaren briefly doing better and, you know, so on and so forth. So, yeah, the, the mystery of Williams, I think, consumes me. I don't I can't really figure out why they're having the struggles they're having, except for I happen to note that it coincides with the departure of one Pastor Maldonado. So no. I have to ask. no. Was it Maldonado that That's drove it, the bus you've and made nobody Will, realized it? You've angered Will Buxton. What have you done? <laughs> <laughs> Surely it's got to be coincidence. I mean, this is a guy who was sat on uh, after qualifying accusing Williams of maybe changing a little something and sabotaging his car to make him go slow. Surely you're I, not serious. Go on, Will. I will. I'll, I'll, I'll throw into this, and I think Matt can probably add on this on where the team's gone wrong technically. But I think Williams were massively flattered last season to finish third. If you think about the fact that Red Bull didn't get on their game, the fact that Force India didn't get their major upgrade until halfway through the year and weren't really a competitive prospect until then. Had Red Bull had its had its stuff together and Force India had that car from the start of the season, no way would Williams have finished third. They'd been lucky to finish fifth. And that's where they find themselves now. I think they plateaued 
and everybody else caught up. And I think it's as simple as that. Yeah, I think we've covered it before in terms of the fact that when Williams was so successful in 2014 was on, on the base principle of the way that the, the formula had moved to an efficiency run. And obviously they did a very good job in terms of creating that very slippery car. And the, every time that they've tried to add downforce, it just seems to have kicked them in the face. Um, I mean, this season, I've never seen this happen before, but at Hungary, Williams went to race one spec. They put everything from race one back on the car just to try and understand what was going on. Oh, man, and that's a professional F1 team. I've done that in, like, backwater engineering workshops, but... And, and and here's the thing in the in the mid season test they ran reactive wings so they were just sending the car and totally illegal brilliant but totally yeah. illegal they just sent the car into a corner and they either sent it into oversteer or to understeer and for the wings to automatically they had a yaw sensor in the front of the car to automatically figure out oh we need that much wing so they could bring it back in and say well if we're going through at this speed we need this much wing and this type of corner we need this much wing they were that lost on how they were setting up the car that they actually needed to to throw questions at it and get the answers out from a sensor. Just mad. So so any signs that Simmons or anybody over there is actually getting on top of this? Or is this just this is just like a slow repeat of the crumbling of the British Empire? Hey. <laughs> 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 easy we easy. resemble that remark um <laughs> no pat pat's doing like a full investigation into it and uh yeah you just got to hope they stop the rock chris are you are you you're a williams fan you're not old enough to remember when they were bloody brilliant i'm not i'm not a fan of anybody i'm impartial no look stop <laughs> with this i think i'm gonna get accredited <laughs> one be. day rubbish just i want I your heart on your sleeve no, don't don't be rosberg I, be hamilton I do wear my heart on my sleeve, but with my emotions and not my um, fanism. Anyway, the point I was going to make was that I've—I don't think I've quite seen so many different versions of front wings of, of very varying ages brought to the same race. And it kind of goes back to what Summers was saying—that they they went back to race one spec in um, in Hungary. They've got they've got wings that they had in in China, from Australia, from Monaco, from loads of different races because they cannot figure out what works with what on their car that's pretty bad and it'll get worse if we just keep going on about williams you've got a major problem sunshine there you go i'll edit that to make it look like <laughs> i didn't waffle and so yeah so they they do they have got a problem uh but as we go to the front end of the pack we go to mercedes who definitely definitely don't have a problem and uh summers you used a phrase and i've been trying to copy you for the last few weeks but i can't remember what you called it when they're basically managing the gap technologically uh to the teams behind so they can always uh was it yo-yoing or rubber banding rubber yeah. banding yeah. yeah so it's a gaming phrase isn't it so i mean we've we've got one guy um who contributes to missed apex who gets very very excited every time red bull make a step forward and go this is it He's been saying for the last five races, this is it. Red Bull are so confident of, uh, of of getting pole, of getting a win. They're closing the gap. This is where it starts. But every time, Mercedes are able to just ease away. And it, it looked pretty easy for the last two races. Well, in one of the cars. I'm not impartial. Yeah, I mean, Red, Red Bull have obviously closed the gap. And that that's kind of shown with the way that Ferrari have taken a, a bit of more of a back seat. And... I think you have to look back to Barcelona when Red Bull got the upgrade from Renault and that's sort of the cascading effect of what's going on with with Red Bull. Um, it's allowed them to run the car with much more rake again, um, which then obviously in turn means that they have more peak downforce, 
which allows them then to stall the rear wing as well for for more top speed and that has an effect in terms of how they can use the uh, fuel efficiency and the electrical energy as well is it true someone was telling me that the idea with that high rake is obviously you've got all the downforce as you come into a turn at slow speed but as you speed up the car kind of goes down a bit and you get less rake therefore you're more slippery is that is that a thing that happens? Someone told me that. Maybe they're lying to me. It's kind of true. It, <laughs> yeah, it, it load, loads the car in as much as that it tilts the car down and then that overwhelms the rear wing. So you, uh, you're effectively putting too much airflow over the rear wing, which stalls it because there's far too much separation going on. Well, and I was just going to, if you want to go ahead and explain on their lovely one-piece cover that you pointed out to me last week. Yeah, so yeah. the engine cover that Red Bull run. Um, I was talking to Piala about this a few days ago, and it's something that's been on the car for quite a considerable amount of time, but nobody seems to have paid any attention to it. Um, so they, they run with a one-piece engine cover, whereas everybody else has got sort of these composite panels that all fit together. And if you ever get to see um, one of the engineers pick this up, they can pick it up with one hand and place it on the car. And it is so flexible, it is unbelievable. Um, now, I'm not saying it's giving them an advantage in any way, but obviously there is some weight saving to be had from having one panel rather than sort of five or six. Um, and, and yeah, there is a, a little bit more flexibility than perhaps uh, you'd like to see in that, that piece. Okay, well, and the flexible attitude has always sort of been behind many of their big improvements, hasn't it? Sure See, the thing is, they nearly didn't catch that flexible front wing, as far as I could tell. So how much stuff have they got on there? That we, I mean, after 2013, Vettel said that you'll never know how we managed to... Just say traction control. Just say it. No, they didn't catch that front wing. That front wing was ratted out by somebody. Ooh, was it? The, oh, the like scrutineers it. had mm. no clue until it was pointed out to them how it was done, and then they went and found it. That, that's the story that I heard. Okay, we've got a question for Will in the chat room. Uh, if you could, oh, I don't know if we should save this. We'll do it quickly. If you could, from the current crop, pick two drivers uh, for your team as team boss, who would you have? Because the question is, are Mercedes actually flattered by the pace of their two drivers? Uh, whoo, that's a very different question. Uh, who would I have? I'd have Stoffel because um, he's magic. Um Ah, I don't know. Do they have to be out of contract or can they be in contract? No, no, you can have anyone. We're not going to make you wait two years. I think Christian Horner's shout that he's got the best lineup in Formula One isn't too far off. I think think Daniel Ricciardo's been one off, if not the driver of the season. Uh, And Max is just the most magical thing I've ever seen in a racing car. I'd I'd have Max and Lewis or I'd have Daniel and Stoffel. If I couldn't have Max and Lewis. So you said it was a, uh, a difficult question asking if Mercedes were flattered by the pace of their drivers. I, look, I th- no. Uh, I think the Good. car is, is, is phenomenal. And as Summers is saying, you know, they have enough in their pocket that they can pull it out if, if, uh, if Red Bull catch up to them. Um, so I think, I think the car is brilliant and I don't think we've seen the best out of it. They have the best driver currently in, in Lewis, um, you know. They could have a better second driver, but what you need is someone to be there when your main driver doesn't bring it home. Just to kind of extend on what Will was saying about, uh, you know, about them taking it easy for when Red Bull catch up. Lewis has very much admitted in the last two or three races, he has been taking it very easy on his engines and is still managing to uh, take 
quite comfortable race wins. Yeah, I think I think the, I think going forward in the season, we'll do some predictions a bit later. But I honestly don't think that that full on Red Bull challenge is going to arrive uh, to Mercedes. I think they have it in the bag. They they have it there at will. So the that brings us up nicely onto silly season. Uh, and uh, the driver lineup, Red Bull is a very interesting one. We've had shuffles in there already, and uh, Will's written about it this week. But poor Danny Kvyat is learning a, a lesson, I think, in sort of the office politics on a mega scale, and he's learning that the world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, but it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward, how much you can take and keep moving forward. Is that about right, Will? Yeah, I think so. I think I think uh, it was something I was talking to Felipe Nazar about at the weekend, and he said he's had to really learn how to adjust to his new reality. And um, and one of the points I made in the article was from P11 down to P22 on the grid in Germany, if you exclude Alonso and, and Button, the guys had 23 championships and 229 race victories amongst them just to get to Formula One. These are guys who are used to winning. Yeah are used to fighting for championships and their reality now is trying to fight for a point and that's a result is a point so to to change that mindset and for Danny to have to do it this year to go from looking for podiums and potential wins to suddenly having that mindset change of okay the best I can hope for is scoring points today and I think he was trying to do too much and, and expecting too much of himself in a car that wasn't capable of delivering the things that he is used to and thought he should be delivering. And it's just that total change of mindset that these guys, these champions, mm. have to make. But of course, some people are wondering why that car isn't delivering. And since he's made that move and since he's come out with, he's not been careful about the comments he's made about the Red Bull organisation. And then there's been a lot of retirements. You know, people are going to get the tongues wagging about that kind of thing. And I don't want to be a tin hat guy. But after that qualifying result in Germany, he really didn't know. He, he sounded completely lost. And if you wanted to do the conspiracy that this was a some sort of retribution for how vocal he'd been against the Red Bull program, then you could kind of almost hear him realising you're not supposed to blame the team, don't do a Paul DeResta, and then in the press pen, he was very much, no, 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 it, it was it's my fault, sorry. And there seemed to be a change in mentality that you could hear his heart breaking on the radio after qualifying. Yeah, I don't think he believed that the team were doing anything to try and and um, you know ruin his career or anything like that. I just I, I think since he was moved down to the team, he he couldn't get on top of of his teammate, a new car. You know, you think there's a lot that he's got to relearn. Toro Rosso is a very different place than it was when he raced there. The car's very different, um, different engine. Uh, you know, everything's different for him. So to have to come to terms with that, to have to learn that whilst going up against Carlos Sainz, who is, let's face it phenomenal um you know it's not an easy job and so you do you start second guessing yourself you're not getting the results you're not beating your teammate and that spiral down just just start beating you and i think that's where where danny got to yeah well it was interesting uh, you know talking about that because i spent a fair amount of my life performing um, for people and having been in situations uh, similar to that in which you feel and you know you are not wanted, but yet you're still there and having to deliver professionally. It's very, very, very difficult mentally to deal with that. But I was also put in mind of Verstappen in Monaco where he kept on hitting things because he simply wasn't used to the car being that precise. And I think to a certain extent, he's got 
the opposite problem. He's got a different car and he's used to one that's being very, very precise. And it can be very hard to unlearn those Mm. reflexes in a short period of time. And I will tell tell you from personal experience, you can't just change a thing and just have it work like you're used to for the last couple of years. It takes really some time and they don't get a lot of time in these cars. Other, I think, modestly obvious comparison might be Grosjean. His, uh... Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Um, you know, his first trip through Formula One and then his uh, big debacle in Spa. You know, yep. and he having, and having, he had to go and have a sports psychologist talk to him, pull him back from the brink, and um, you know, yeah, absolutely. I think you're absolutely right. You know, and uh, I think Boulier in particular was very, very supportive of him, but that's not necessarily the system that we see so much at Red Bull, and and it seems that in a way we're getting to see how the sausage is made there, and and it's not necessarily <laughs> pretty. Yes, you wouldn't eat the sausage if you could see it being made. Well, all you have to do is take a look at some of the drivers that Red Bull have rejected and what they have gone on to do to to just get a grasp of how unforgiving their system is. Sebastian Buemi is a prime example. He's a WEC and Formula E world champion now. Uh, Bordet is another one. He had quite a good run in uh, IndyCar. Uh, Al Gashwari had a good run in Formula E as well. They're, they're, most of them are doing some pretty good things now, but it's just not Formula One. Yeah, absolutely agreed. Before we go on to the rest of Silly Season, I just wanted to have a word from Alex Van Jean, who is competing in the British karting, rental karting championships. And I promise you guys, I was doing everything I could to be there. I made a big, big push, but ultimately, uh, without putting uh, money down myself and facing the wrath of my wife, uh, I was not able to do it. But here, here's a, a word from Alex, who is racing in the corporate chauffeurs ca- uh, team. Hi Spanners, I wanted to talk to you about the British 24 Hour, which is a 24 hour kart race in Teesside in Middlesbrough with 40 hire carts and 30 owner carts taking on the longest, fastest kart track in the world, Teesside Autodrome. 
We've been doing the event since 2011 as corporate chauffeurs and last year we took the top step of the podium. This year we want to take it one step further and get our two carts both on the podium this year. I'd also like to give a quick mention to our sponsors, OP Oils, Cart David, TB McKay Energy Services, Corporate Chauffeurs and Simply Race. Excellent. That's Alex Van Geen there uh, shuffling a raincoat in the background. He also mentioned the team members that were racing with him. Hi, Spanners. I wanted to talk to you about the British 24 No, that's the same one. You're the what? Right. How do you get a producer? Will, would you you just... Uh, Yeah, they're quite expensive. (laughs) Damn. They're quite quite good. (laughs) Yeah, they're quite handy to have. I'll do it myself. I had Tony Thunderbeast Barnard in here, but he's a big guy and he runs hot. This is a small room. Okay, here we go. We're running two carts for the event. There's cart 11 with Russell Endine, Johnny Spencer, David Longman and George Lovell. And then in cart 22, there is myself, Andrew Duff, Michael Weddle, Piers Pryor and Bradley Philpott. Wow, yeah. So that's Piers Pryor, talented up-and-coming racer and Bradley Philpott, who we've all heard of. Will, this is an event you've raced at, isn't it, at Teesside? 24 uh, no, hour. 24, no. I do the, um, I do the British Rental Cart Championship in Milton Keynes every year, which is where I met Alex and Brad and all those guys. And... Um, doesn't Alex sound nice with his with his radio voice on? Yeah, I know he's uh, well. His sister, his sister's a radio DJ, so he said he got some there tips before go. before leaving that voice note. Doing his vocal warm ups. Excellent, absolutely fantastic. So, uh, silly season then. Full. Uh, what else? You've got Red Bull drivers in the notes uh, for me, Matt. Uh, people who think I have any knowledge of F one should be well aware that Matt Trumpets is the one who puts together the show notes. Uh, you've put the rest of the Red Bull drivers, or did we did we cover what you wanted? Well, no, I, I think the Red Bull drivers sort of appended on to our discussion of Red Bull in, in general, you know, just talking about how they treat their drivers and the uh, the human cost. I mean, you don't see it. And Adrian Newey brought this up in an interview last year, talking about juniors who never even make it to the higher formula. formula. And uh, some of them, he felt, were not getting even a proper education. Their parents were just mm-hmm. simply saying they were getting properly educated and he felt it was an area that that should be addressed and you know you look at tv and you see the people who've succeeded but for every one person who succeeded there's a whole mountain of people who had that same dream and did not get there for whatever reason and and it and it's a cost it's a cost that's worth bearing when you're getting ready to slag off somebody who's being slow or not on it or anything else like that sorry Soapbox removed. No, you get on it, man. Were you making sense? I wasn't listening. I was typing. No, not really. (laughs) I was just just meandering. Anyway, no, we should talk about the other drivers because it's silly season. And what could be more fun than speculating endlessly with no real proof? Oh, yes. Wild speculation. Um, You have to go easiest on on us, Will, as we have, uh, you know, the misinformed wild speculation of uh, armchair fans. Uh, But from our point of view, we we like it. Uh, Is it Jensen you wanted to go first? He's possibly a, a big key keystone uh to see what happens next williams say they won't wait on him so it sounds like already there's a bit of a tense relationship it's like a difficult first date you don't want to maybe marry them after that is it it doesn't look likely to me he's going to end up at williams that there's an odd thing at the moment and i think sergio perez might be the key to the driver market this year uh, which is weird. I never expected to say that. Thing is, I, like Checo this this summer needs to go and see his sponsors. And I thought from what he was saying that it was simply a fact of, well, I've got a contract with Force India. I need to talk to my sponsors just as a courtesy to make sure that they're willing to sign the check again and then we can get it all done. But now it seems that there's interest from Renault, serious interest, maybe even Williams. Uh, 
And so, you know, Checo honestly is, is, has done himself such a power of good over the last two seasons. I think he's a very, very strong candidate for a Williams drive or a Renault drive. You know, if Renault's got the budget to move themselves back into championship contention in the future, why wouldn't you want to go there over Force India, which, you know, will plateau at about fourth or fifth place in the championship. So, yeah, Checo could be the key. Will Jensen go back to Williams? Possibly. I think McLaren will be Alonso and Van Dorn next year. I think that's pretty much a certainty. Um, because if Van Dorn doesn't end up at McLaren, then guaranteed he'll end up at Renault because um, Fred Vasseur just won't let him go. Well, Button was quoted um, yesterday saying that he would quite like to go to WEC next season. I think I saw that on motorsport.com. It was quite it was quite a lengthy um, piece, actually. It seems like a, a strong option for him next year. And it, it kind of makes a, a lot of sense for him because I, as, as much as I like the idea of him going back to Williams, I can't really see it. Um, and... Well, the, to, prob- to the, go- the, the, the problem with Jensen going back to Williams is if you look at, they, they've had you know, good drivers over the last few years, but if they go from having Rubens Barrichello to Felipe Massa to Jensen Button, I think it shows a total lack of imagination yep. and, and, and you know, showing we want, we're serious, we want to win races, we want to win championships. They're all, and I have a huge amount of respect for each, each one of them, but you're not going for a driver who's a young up-and-comer that has the hunger and wants to win championships. They're guys that are on their way out. No, and they've talked about that. What is important to them is the corporate face. I think today they were coming out and saying, "Well, um, oh no, that was I'm getting confused with Renault." But yeah, yeah, I mean, Renault was saying things like, "We've got talented young drivers, but are they the guys to to lead to lead the media to give us that that right corporate image?" And for Williams, it's extremely important. And you do have to question what is more important to them: budget or winning championships? I don't get the feeling that they're seriously going forward for a, to try and you know take on a world championship. If, if we're going to talk about interesting things, let's talk about Carlos Sainz. Is he mm. going to stay put at Toro Rosso? I mean, he, I'll be, he's my dark horse, and not just because he has my number, but he, he has been such a quietly good driver in a car that can't really get him to the top of the field. How much longer is he going to stay there? And where might, where might he be looking if he goes? Well, he's locked in, isn't he? He's re-signed. Um for next year and I think that's because Red Bull you know they know what they've got on their books I was really hoping that that Ferrari would snap him up and he'd go and and race alongside Vettel because I thought that would have been a very strong very very strong lineup you know he'd be great at Williams he'd be great at Force India Um, but I think Toro well Red Bull anyway will will, want to hang on for him for all they can because they'll recognize how how damn good he is yeah because that's that's sort of against their traditional policy of just keeping drivers for a year or two and then kicking them out the door. yeah this is, and, and you know and who's going to go in and place a kafia it's going to be gasly gasly who didn't yeah. win a race in over a thousand days is this a new sign of red bull is this red bull giving people second chances i mean a thousand days without a win for helmet marco is crazy i've never seen anything like that before in the red bull program and yet all of a sudden gasly can do no wrong in his winning races and you know, it's uh, it's all turned around. Chris has gone 17 podcasts without making a good point. We still have him back. What point are you trying to make now, Chris? Gasly is a changed man since that uh, since that first feature race uh, win at Silverstone. Uh, I think did I make this point on the podcast a couple make it couple again. weeks ago? I, I, maybe I will make it again because you know it came back and straight away it was back to back in uh, in Hungary and fantastic performance in uh, Germany 
uh, as well. I mean, it was such a shame he was um, disqualified um, because, uh, you know, I think a month or two ago, I would have laughed at anyone who said uh, Gasly was going to be in uh, a Toro Rosso next year. But yeah. now it almost seems like the only um, option. OK, guys, you've got one opportunity to talk about a silly season signing. I want I want a prediction or two of what is going to happen in the driver market coming up. And Chris, you look nervous and like you haven't got an answer, so we'll go to you first. <laughs> um, I will say, uh, can I go with the easy one? Alonso and Van Dorn at McLaren. So uh, Jensen out, retired, or to Williams? Um, I'm going to say Jensen to the World Endurance Championship. Mm, out the door and commentating annoyingly probably for with channel four most likely with channel four oh don't channel four have got such a great lineup at the moment no offense to uh to other coverage is available but uh mark weber is he going to be there regularly because he he was fantastic the last race i watched on i think it was hungry uh him and dc okay uh will uh give, give us a couple of predictions then for the drive market. i can't i don't know i thought i thought science was going to go to ferrari um okay i don't know bottas to renault perez to uh Renault and um uh no Bottas to Force India, Perez to Renault and um Felipe Nazza back to Williams with loads of money from Bel- uh, Brazilian banks. Speaking of money, Matt, I guess uh your yours is the Ericsson. I mean he could just choose whichever team he wants, I suppose. Well well at the rate the pound has plunged, I think he could buy half of Britain at this point. Too soon. Too soon. Too soon? Yeah. Too soon. Yeah. Too soon. Sorry. Much too soon. Apologies. Yeah, it's all right. We'll get our revenge come your election. Don't worry. We'll be talking about it all the time. God help me. I might be a refugee in your country soon. <laughs> we, no, no, no. That we're not, we're not having any of those anymore. That's... Oh, sorry. Wait, that's not you. Never mind. Oh, Canada. Ericsson? No, well, no. Eric, Ericsson um, has has set Sauber up for the future with, with his purchase. They, yeah. they finally have some sound financial footing again. Um, and they can even afford to crash their cars. They have replacement parts. It's fantastic. But I don't know that he will be going anywhere because the sponsors just sunk a huge amount of money into the team. But you do have to wonder if Nazar will be staying there or if they'll be bringing somebody else in instead. Nazar's got a relationship with Williams, so that wouldn't be completely unknown, would it, Will? Like they've, no. he, he tested for them. Yeah, he was yeah. Their, their reserve and test uh, a couple of years ago with was doing fp bond sessions for them um so yeah he's had a long relationship with them i don't know it's it's i cannot call it i don't, i just don't know um you know i think a lot of it depends on perez and also when mclaren make that decision on on putting stoffel in the car and then where jensen ends up that, in, those will be the keys that inevitable decision i think everyone's starting to think yeah i think yeah. i think yeah. If they Sorry. don't, they're crazy. Sorry, Jensen fans. Uh, as we know, they are very sensitive uh, from a recent article we put out. Summer's gone. Then give me some magic predictions uh, for next season, and then and then we right, and then what we've got time for is politics with the track limits, and then we do our back end and we're out. Give us your predictions, Summers. So I'll go with JB to Williams, uh, Botas to Renault, uh, NASA to Williams. Botas. Oh, but they go. said they wanted a charismatic driver. I mean, just, just, he's good. About Williams. <laughs> the Renault. I, I don't know. Obviously, Will's talking about Perez as well, being part of the, the linchpin. And yeah, there's a lot obviously being talked about with the, the money side of things in terms of Perez. Um, 
I think he might stay where he is at Force India, but that's just a hunch more than anything else. All right, then let's go to something that's that's not staying. Track limits, they, as we said last week after Germany, they just tore up the rule book. They said, say whatever you want, do whatever you want, uh, go wherever you want, um, except they sort of didn't. They sort of backtracked. Uh, Will, we know you're passionate about track limits. Um, we're, yeah. we're, 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 we're pulling back in our memories, but were you in a karting event where you demonstrated really what happens if you ignore track limits or is that my mind playing tricks on me no that was speeding under yellow flags oh was it all right oh hang on a second uh, <laughs> a little bird told me that uh, you recently got black flagged for speeding under yellow flags i did don't do it kids it it's, never ends well it's not clever um track limits right so um have them or don't have them. And what's interesting with this is all the headlines have gone out saying, oh, Toto Wolf and Christian Horner don't see the point in track limits. And so, you know, well, great. Let's, you know, if we were still racing at Indianapolis, just ignore the infield and go around the oval. Brilliant. You know, why not? I think if you look deeper at what they've actually said, it's interesting. I've got the quote in front of me. Toto said, um, the tarmac runoff is so boring anyway that drivers are able to go off and rejoin. If I'm reading on screen that car so-and-so has rejoined the track, I think if you go off track, you should either be in the wall or the gravel bed. Now, if you look at that quote from Toto, is he saying, I think we should just free up track limits? Or is he actually saying that the problem here is the tarmac runoffs? And I think deeper, the issue is the tarmac runoffs. If you're yeah. going to have that much tarmac runoff, then you, you you have an issue. And it's what the drivers feel. It's what the teams all feel. All anyone wants is consistency in the application of the regulation. So if you are going to punish for going wide at turn four, then it should also be at turns one, two, three, five, seven, six, yeah. seven, eight, nine, ten, every corner. But people, do it for every corner or don't do it. That's, I think, where we're getting to. People get upset with the runoffs. And there's this sort of, I don't know, some people feel that there has to be a danger to F1 to make it interesting. For me, no, I see it as a sport. You know, I'm not much of a thrill seeker. I don't skydive. So I, I like there being runoffs. I like a mistake to end up not in a wall, not on grass. Um, and it, and I think that that is the way they are going to go in the future. Yes, but that's not, that's, yeah. that's, if you like sports, yeah. right, then you watch Wimbledon, there are lines. If yes. the ball goes outside yeah. the line, then it doesn't count. Mm -hmm. If you're just going to ignore the fact the lines are there. Yeah. Then no, no, just no. play on a field and <laughs> don't have a court. You know, it's yeah. if the lines are indicating the, the 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 surface on which you can play the game. Yeah. Then if you exceed where you can play the game, then you're no longer playing the game by the same rules. These are the best drivers in the world. They should be able to stay on the bloody track. No, and it's, I, it's really simple. I understand that, and that's the reason I don't play squash because it basically you're at the mercy with the obstruction rule and people getting out of your way. Yeah. yeah, is it good? Yeah. Um, so you, you, there's not a level playing field and you're, you're dependent on somebody else's, um, spirit of fair play, which is fine in an amateur league, but not at the top level. But I feel that you could have a technical, uh, solution, a technological solution to that. Would people be happy? Matt's waving up again. Would you be happy with an electronic device that limited revs as soon as you went over track limits? Because that's technically feasible from my point of view. Is that to Matt? Uh, well, I was going to anger him by p pointing that back at you, Will. Oh, okay. Um, I figured you were going to do that, and that's why <laughs> I kept my mouth shut, yeah. I don't think it's necessary <laughs> to limit, you know, revs like in a, in a PlayStation game. I think what we saw in Hungary worked very well. Three warnings, 
and the drivers were given three warnings in the race if they were given three warnings and said right next time you get a penalty yep. watch how quickly they backed off watch how how they didn't run over that curb another time during the race well that's true but that doesn't help the guy who gets passed on the outside the first time while he's getting his warnings go on Matt right um, correct me if I'm wrong which I know you all are. I'm ready do. eight broken floors at the last race from riding the curbs number <laughs> yeah. one Let's talk about the tarmac runoffs. They're, they were, they're instituted on grounds of safety, which I think Summers and I had the discussion in the past that the FI in particular don't like grass because they find it hard to model the cars when, the, when they're off track. So you're, you're fighting yeah. that uphill battle. But let's talk about the thing we've not talked about, which is how many stewards are there? Oh, it's either really high or really low, or you wouldn't be it's mentioning about, it. It's about three plus a driver steward, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And... How many incidences of running off the track did Whiting report when they installed those things? It was like 100. How are they ever going to determine? And this is a problem you set. You either have the rule, if you're off the track, it's a penalty, period, regardless of why you're off the track. Did I go sideways off the track? We saw that. Someone got a warning for going over track limits while they were sideways at the last race. The problem with track limits is you have to determine intent. And if you determine intent, a human being needs to look at it. They don't have enough eyeballs. This is where we are right now. So the real answer, and I I just personally like to go old school, which is you have to make it cost more to choose to go off. If you're already off by accident, you're already paying a price. It won't matter. But but I I firmly believe that that you're right it's ultimately racetrack design has to be rethought with an eye towards making track limits track limits and not yeah. just a vague suggestion meter meter and a half of grass that's all you need at the side of the track you and, have you have track white line meter and a half of grass then have 15 miles of asphalt runoff to be safe it doesn't matter so long as you have an, mm-hmm. a, a natural deterrent for going wide Mm-hmm. You're right. That's all you need. Drivers will always take the fastest line, and the fastest line is not running over grass. Okay, Chris, you have the last word. It's a problem that kind of snuck up on us, wasn't it? Because there were a few gravel traps that were taken away and turned into tarmac runoff areas. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, I, th- I first noticed this when uh, Circuit of the Americas joined the calendar in 2012. And I took one look at it and realized it was just a giant advertising board with some white lines marking out a track in the middle of it. And I just this is this is where circuit design has, has taken us. And it's so wrong. I was watching, a, uh, I think it was one of the Porsche Super Cup races around there. And they were all just running completely way, way off. The, the circuit and it was it was a joke and they were going about a second and a half quicker than Le Mans spec um Porsche uh, GT um LM cars just from doing that alone and it, it it's it's a joke and I do think that now that we're kind of leaning back on track limits hopefully that is the FIA now taking a look at more aggressive and thinner curbs, a little bit more astro, more grass, and yeah. more gravel. Well, okay, then. Well, I lied. I'm going to try and have the last word again. But um, why aren't these changes coming? Why is everything a response to the media outcry and the social media outcry? Is there an inherent problem with leadership and getting things done? It seems like 
there's no vision that they're working towards. They're putting a lot of stuff out. They're seeing people panic and complain. And then they're making knee-jerk reactions. And I can't remember seeing this many flip-flopping rule changes. So am I crazy to think that, you know, maybe there's a problem right at the top? There's, there's a lot of politics behind everything. It's about who runs the sport. Is it the teams and the strategy group? Is it Jean? Is it Bernie? And, you know, Jean and Charlie Whiting are not the closest of allies. And yet over the last month, Jean has backed Charlie Whiting to the hilt on everything that Charlie has decided. And I think seeing that alliance shows that this is more than just about track limits. It's more than curbs. It's more than yellow flag uh, etiquette. It's about a battle for who makes the rules. A battle for uh, this. Yeah, yeah for, for overall control of the sport. That's 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 basically what it's become. Especially with a, is it fair to say, you know, a ticking time bomb at the very top uh, with control, people hustling to be the power force that comes through in the next era of Formula One. Yeah, I think I think so. I think everybody knows that there will come a flashpoint in the next couple of years, and uh, it's who's most ready and able to take control of that power in the vacuum, which will almost certainly be created. Oh, this is great with uh, Game of Thrones being so far away for the next <laughs> season. But I'm not interested in the next few years. I'm only interested in the next six months. Matt, who will be the big winners and the big losers? Quick fire, tell me. For the second half of 2016. Uh, Red Bull, Ricciardo, Mercedes. And that's it. And everybody else is losing. Yup. Summers, who's going to be the big winners going forward? From a tech point of view, it's got to be Ferrari going backwards, hasn't it? And then it's the dynamic between Red Bull and Mercedes. Yeah, well, I still think there's a bit more of a fight to go on between Red Bull and Ferrari more than Mercedes. They, they're kind of in a league of their own. Uh, Red Bull can take it to them at some circuits, but that is just purely circuit characteristic. Um, but falling away, I, I hate to say it, but I think Toro Rosso might, uh, just purely on the basis that they've bought their big update package at the last race. They weren't quite happy with it, and they're obviously struggling with a 15, uh, 2015 power unit compared to everybody else. Excellent. Uh, Chris Stevens, winners and losers. Make some bold predictions. Put it all on the line. Uh, winners, I'm going to say McLaren going forwards with their Honda engine. Oh, uh, no, Honda's Will's agreeing. Oh, okay, fine. Ah, yeah. ah, oh, ah, so I've got my predictions ah, to come. Ah, <laughs> Go on then. Oh, take that moment to gloat. Um, losers, I think. Uh, oh, actually, can I add Sauber to my list of winners? Um, because wow. we're actually going to get an upgrade package. Yeah, at good. Spa, yeah, the no, first one of the season. Uh, Will, 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 Will hang on, agree no, with I, me on that one. I just want to say to Will that this is classic reversion to the mean you've just seen there, and that will come up again with McLaren. Okay, so carry on, Chris. Oh dear. Um, losers, uh, it's got to be Williams, isn't it? Yeah, and uh, yeah. So for me, I, I think that we're going to see uh, a disappearance of the McLaren uh, resurgence. I think they were they were flattered uh, in Hungary. They sort of proved that in perfect circumstances on a track that hides their major weaknesses, they can sort of do okay. And the, the period of they've been downed with faint praise over and over again. McLaren fans are, are so easily satisfied now. But do we remember it was only a few years ago when we were devastated at them not qualifying in Q3. And I think Force India are going to be resurgent and overtake them once more will do you want to give us some predictions for the second half of next season put it all on the line um i'm going to go with a, a pretty out there um prediction mercedes uh, lewis <laughs> hamilton and mercedes yes. will be world champions at the end of the year because nico will bottle it um Ooh. i think big winner will be daniel um 
uh, Ricardo and, and, and Red Bull. Uh, and yeah, I agree. I think Force India are going to overtake Williams, finish in a solid fourth place. Um, big losers will be Ferrari. They will just continue yep. to drop back until they can actually get their heads calmed down and get everything in a get all their all their sheep in a row. Um, I think McLaren will continue their their move forward. I, oh, you're right. You're you know, wrong. tracks like tracks like Monza, yeah. Mexico, uh, Suzuka are Gonna not hurt. going to suit them. Um, but I, I can still see that that moving forward. So I think you know they will be the big winners and losers. Um, really, though, this season will be about to, to just a staggering, crushing disappointment at Ferrari. They are as lost now as I can remember them being uh, between '79 and. Uh, and, and the early 2000s they're, yep. they're completely at sixes and sevens doesn't yep. sebastian sound sick on occasions yeah well it's just you know it's a lack of leadership it's emotion taking over from calm considered response and that's where ferrari were in the you know in the in the 80s and 90s and that's exactly where they are now okay matt have i done you give us some bold predictions for the next half of 2016 or did you do it already i did it already oh okay in that case guys test your f1 knowledge are you ready are you steady how many points do McLaren have, Matt? Uh, 23. Summers? 16. Chris? 30. Will? Like 40, 41. Yeah, you get 42 points. They have 42 points. Now, bear in mind, that's compared to Ferrari's 242, a team that we are talking about as having a disastrous season. To put into perspective the people who are talking about the McLaren resurgence, on average, which driver has made up the most places on the opening lap, Will? Oh, either Carlos Sainz or Kevin Magnussen. Any advance? No. Verstappen? Matt? I was going to go with signs, so... Summers? Botas. Uh, Botas has the closest interview technique to Pascal Wehrlein, so you get the point for that. It's Wehrlein with an average of plus two places on the opening lap. And who do we think has lost the most places? Summers, you go first. On average, over the opening lap. Kimi. Kimi is the good shout. Chris Stevens. Is it Kvyat? <laughs> it is, and you've got in there for first. It's crushingly, it's Daniel Kvyat. Oh, um, because, no. though, he's got minus 1.36 average places lost. You lose 136 points. Uh, that's unlucky. Either drivers who go backwards on the opening lap are Kimi. Rosberg is third for losing places on the opening lap. Obviously, he starts at the front. Uh, Esteban Gutierrez, Ricciardo, and yeah. Perez. Uh, okay, the unofficial F1 speed record was broken this year at Baku. How fast... Did the number 77 Williams travel? Take a guess, Will Buxton, since you're looking down in despair. 262 miles an hour? Trumpets. I was going to go with 362 kilometers, but we hey, don't it acknowledge must be something kilometers. about 62, right? Uh, Stevens, Chris Stevens? I'm, uh, I'm disregarding remember, Matt's answer. I remember doing the article on this as well. Was it 370? Three kilometers an hour? I don't care. Summers, answer in miles an hour. Are we talking about the recorded time or yes. the. Yeah, okay. So, because they went quicker than that, obviously. Yeah. Um, 274. Yeah, and I should have made clear that it was the speed trap time. Will's actually closest. It was 234.9 miles oh. an hour. Uh, and I think the unofficial record was Barrichello before that, but I'm guessing now. Uh, question just for Will Buxton How many points oh. does Esteban Gutierrez have this season? 
Zero. Zero. Uh, right, okay, just making a point. Uh, and uh, last two, whose fault was the Spain crash? Matt Trumpis. Oh, dear, my... And there's um, a lot of points on the it, line I blame here. it on the grass. No, that, that was Rosberg. It was a late, It was a very Verstappen-like defensive move on his part. A thousand a points. Will Buxton, whose fault was the Barcelona crash? Uh, Nico forced Lewis off the track, but as soon as Lewis went onto the grass, he made sure that Nico wasn't getting out of that corner. So That, that um, is an astute observation. Yes, it is. No, uh, uh, Chris Stevens, whose fault was it? Oh, I don't know if I want to comment on this one. Be brave. Just uh, say your heart. You can't be punished for using your opinions and passion and heart. If you think it was Lewis's fault, you just say. I'm gonna go. I have to. I have to be Sweden on this one and sit on the fence. Okay, you lose points for your cowardice, Summers. You know. You know it was Rosberg's fault, and so you. It get was Nika Rosberg's for selecting the wrong engine mode on the grid. And for bonus questions, first person who can shout this out. Last question is: Where should Marcus Ericsson really be next season? In the sea. In the sea. Uh, Yes, you win the quiz. 1,225 (laughs) points. Marcus Ericsson should be in the sea. I would also have accepted Formula E. Uh, Guys, let's tell our listening public, of which we hope there might be a few more this week, where they can find you, starting with our guest, Will Buxton, on the telly, obviously. On the telly box, uh, NBCSN, of course. Uh, I I write an article now for racer.com as well. So uh, that's where you can find me. Excellent. And on Twitter, of course. And on Twitter, the, yes. The and I have a blog, which I don't uh, write much anymore because I'm spending all my time working and uh, doing my racer articles. So um, Fair enough. Look at this paying lip service. As if anyone doesn't know where to find you. Matt Trumpets, at MattPT55. You still hawking books? I'm still hawking my wife's book, A Common Scandal, out now on every ebook reader. And should you happen to be in New York around about August 23rd, come find me playing at Krupa Grocery. Ooh, interesting. Uh, Chris Stevens, have you still got a stupid underscore in your Twitter handle? Because I don't think I'm willing to push it anymore until you correct that. I have to say, I'm I'm fed up with your underscore bashing. Uh, it's the worst. But you can find me at cstevens underscore journal. You can find all my written stuff at formulaspy.com. And that just leaves us with the fantastic, why aren't you, fo- why aren't you following Summers F1? Is that right? At Summers F1? That's it, yeah. Or you can see my stuff on motorsport.com. Now that we know where to find all of you guys, it's just time to find out your awards, a thing I didn't forget. So, Will Buxton, I want to know who, who for you was the outstanding thing of the season. Uh, it can be a person, a driver, a bollard. It can be Nikki Shields, even though she's in Formula E. It's up to you. Uh, um, okay, warning would have been nice, so I could have planned this and thought it through. No, that's not how a, we work. A reasoned uh, answer for no. you. Uh, Baku. Loved Baku. Um I never in my life has I said the words, um, you know where I'd like to go? Azerbaijan. And yet it was lovely. Um, really enjoyed the place. Great country. Track uh, could have been a more exciting race, but the GP2 races were brilliant. Um, they were. Yeah. Yeah. It was, a, I think, just a real surprise because you didn't know what to expect. And it was, it was great. Other than that, I think Carlos Sainz uh, gets my award for the best thing of the season because he's just... Every every race, there's something good to say about him. I just think he's phenomenal. Going back to Baku, though, the problem with Baku was it, it, qualifying was so exciting. That built us up. The GP2 races were epic from the get-go. And, and yeah. then the Formula 1 didn't quite deliver as an event. Uh, all, all you needed was... Um, you just needed one safety car, and it would have been, it would have been good. Uh, but we didn't get that. So, yeah, a bit of a shame. A bit of a sort of a Singapore success in terms of a race. But, uh, but glorious, beautiful place to have a race. 
um, and, and a lovely country, lovely people. Um, really enjoyed it. Chris Stevens, who's your thing of the season? Uh, thing of the season has got to be Max Verstappen. Ah, really? I, I yeah. know, I know. I know. Is it, with his mirrors. Has he done enough? Has he, I mean, he does, he has, but is the, not One the jury of... still out onto whether he's just a bit of a chancer? He, he won his first race in a Red Bull. We know how passionate you are. <laughs> oh, <Max. laughs> oh, you've done it. Yeah. You've the gas again. <laughs> so, so, you, so, Will, do you, you think Verstappen's all right, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's average, <laughs> isn't he? So, as Thomas F1, who's your thing of the season? My thing of the season's the Mercedes W07. Oh, from how nerdy is that? Look wow. at that. I'm surprised that you didn't just bring it down to a particular aero part. Oh, oh it's the group could, slits in the rear wing of the W07. Y250 Vortex. <laughs> Third iteration of the monkey seat. <laughs> Matt Trumpets, your thing of the weekend. Is not the Y250 Vortex. Not of the weekend, your no. thing of the season. Well, I, my thing of the season. Well, I was going to have to go with Signs as a driver, but that's already been taken, so I'm going to go with Ricciardo instead. And for my thing of the season... Astonishingly, I'm going to go with Monaco because we saw a proper race for P1 finally. Yeah, yeah, okay. And uh, my thing of the season is Lewis Hamilton, unashamedly, the way he's come back, he really is showing class. At least he's having to beat Nico Rosberg, who we were all rating for the last two or three seasons. He's not a number two driver, Rosberg, in the fact that the team are letting them race. He's got the same opportunity. So ask you guys then, who do you think? Oh no, you missed the apex. Who's missed the apex, Summers? Oh, now you've come to me. Yeah, okay. keep you on your oh, toes. Oh, that's the easiest oh, the, one. <laughs> the easiest one. Okay. Fine, well, you, you want me to give you a clue? <laughs> uh, let, let's really annoy Chris Stevens and say McLaren. Yeah. No, no, I agree. I agree. That's a good shout. Trumpets, who's missed the apex for you? Ferrari. Good mm. Lord. That's an answer staring you in the face. Do you agree with that, Chris Stevens? McLaren missed the apex? Uh-oh. Uh, I, I don't agree with some. I will most definitely agree with uh, Matt on that one. I'm, I'm going to go one further and say Ferrari strategists have missed the apex. It's a good shout. Will Buxton, who's missed the apex for you? That's a bad thing because... I, 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 yeah, I, yeah, I can't agree that McLaren have missed the apex. I think they've they've taken some really positive steps forward. Ferrari have definitely missed the apex and, and Vettel has missed the apex. He's scrabbling around at the moment and he's not himself. And he looks... But that... He's in that, that... I mean, yes, because the car is... It's terrible. That was the seagulls, you know. But it's, well, yes, of course, yeah, the seagulls. <laughs> but you know, you know, when when he doesn't have a car underneath him that that he's comfortable with, you you just see him start to get ragged, and and he is getting a bit ragged out on track. Uh, he's missed the apex. Massa is missing the apex uh, regularly. Um, <laughs> Enough time, already, Massa. Time, Go home. Time, time up. Game over. I think. Yeah. You know who else misses the apex? Jensen when he has no grip. Oh, every. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. To us, from what broadcast we get, it seems like every single interview goes, there's just no grip out there. Just no no grip. Is it the same Same from your end? Yeah. I don't know. Much. Just thinking. Every, it, every radio call. It no might grip. be It might be you. I don't know. It might be. This is that savage. It might be you. Yeah, go on then. I'll give Jensen Button the Missed Apex Award uh, for the season. Uh, before we go to Pony, we have... Comment of the week. See, I didn't forget everything. Comment of the week is spanners don't go round the tin hat route with a guy inside the paddock uh, being told <laughs> off for talking about a potential uh, conspiracy at Toro Rosso. And that's from Vortex Mortio. Follow him at Vortex Motio, M O T I O. Good guy. He's all right. Comment of the week. Does anyone have a nomination for? Daddy, I want a pony. And I- 
I'll tell you who's been most angry on the radio has been both Ferrari guys. Uh, Vettel started off jokingly talking about the blue flags and it was all sing-songs and happy. Now he looks properly upset uh, when it comes to that. And I think that's a bit of tension coming through. And Kimi Raikkonen really, really angry on radio calls. Like the level of frustration and irritation. You think him and his race engineer, are they friends? Uh, do they start the race weekend as friends and, and fall out? I don't know. So that brings us to a natural and not at all forced conclusion to this week's episode of Missed Apex Podcast, reminding you guys out there to stay strong, take opportunities, because wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This has been Missed Apex. Totally nailed my outro first time. As much as anyone knows, the band is Fallen to Flux. Check them out at Fallen to Flux. See you next time, guys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.